uh, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter, where we've been uh, working our way through God's Word. And uh, we come today, finally, to the second chapter, believe it or not. Second, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 and the first few verses there. Now, if you were here last week, you might remember that um, we talked about what's unique about being a Christian. And uh, the fact that a Christian is not only born physically, but is born, again, spiritually. And uh, in chapter 1 and verse 23, uh, Peter comes right out and says, You have been born, again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable seed, the living and abiding Word of God. Uh, Physically, we're born of perishable seed. That's true of everything physical. Everything physical is temporary. Everything physical is perishable, including these bodies that we live in. But, of course, we were created originally to be like God. And God is imperishable. God is eternal. And so to be born spiritually is to have our soul regenerated or restored. Remember the 23rd Psalm, the Lord's my shepherd. Uh, He restores my soul. And so um, when we begin to think about what it means to actually be a believer and a Christian, uh, when our spirit is regenerated or given this new life, Uh, Our souls, our thoughts, our feelings, our choices are all restored towards what God originally created our souls to be. Um, And then eventually this soul gets a new body. Philippians 3.20 says that we're going to receive a body just like the Lord's that will never wear out, uh, that will be in for all of eternity. And so this new birth that happens to us in our spirit happens by the imperishable seed of the living word of God. When the Word of God and the Spirit of God come together in a person's spirit, their souls, their spirits are regenerated. And uh, that's where this spiritual life comes from. It finds its way into our hearts. God's Word is like seeds. And I don't know if you've uh, planted some grass this spring or something, but seed can sit on the shelf at Agway for years and look dead. But as soon as the seed meets up with some soil and some sunshine and some water, there's life in that seed. And uh, Jesus told us in the first parable that he told in Matthew chapter 13 that, you know, the word of God goes out like seed and uh, it falls on four different kinds of soil. And when it hits that good soil, it springs to life and it bears fruit. And that's where spiritual life really comes from. And so uh, just like everything alive physically starts with a seed, so everything spiritual starts with the seed of God's word. And so uh, Peter says here in the 23rd verse, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Uh, When you become alive spiritually, it's because the word of God, which is alive, has connected with the inside of your spirit. If you just take your Bible and turn back a page or two to um, James, in James chapter 1 and verse 18, he says the same thing. He chose to give spiritual birth to us through the word of truth. How does spiritual truth come to us? How do we get this new life, this spiritual life? Well, it's through the word of truth that we might be kind of the first fruits of uh, the Lord's work. And if you turn back even a little further to um, Timothy, Timothy says the same thing in 2 Timothy uh, 3 and verse 15 or so. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 15. It says um, how from infancy, right, you have known the Holy Scriptures. And by the way, Mother's Day, uh, one of the best things we can do for our children is from the very beginning, 
instill the word of God into the hearts and the minds of children. I'm so thankful. I see Cindy sitting over here for our nursery school, and we have quite a few uh, kids from the community this year. And, and uh, Cindy does her best to, to, to plant God's word into the hearts. And so Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, You know, Timothy's one of these guys who's from infancy has known the Holy Scriptures, this living word of God, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All Scripture is God breathed. That's how it has life in it. That's why Peter calls it the living word of God. Because God breathed it in the same way that he breathed physical life into us. He breathes spiritual life into us through his word. It's God breathed and therefore it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness and so on and so forth. So that we might be equipped in in every way. And so uh, that's why I uh, tried to make the point last week that... um, The physical side of life by itself is never able to bring contentment or soul satisfaction as we've been talking about this year. Uh, The physical side of life by itself just cannot content our souls. Uh, Our souls uh, long for the uh, satisfaction that only God uh, can give through his spiritual life. And I think you can spend a lifetime... um, You know, really trying to find peace and contentment in the physical side of life. And you can die never experiencing the kind of soul satisfaction uh, that God intends for us. You can spend a lifetime in the pursuit of money or substance abuse or family or work or sexuality or whatever. But soul satisfaction comes from this spiritual life. And so in our text today, and I reviewed that a little bit because in chapter 2, the very first word is therefore. And so you can't really understand what Peter's saying unless we understand what came before it. And because all of this is true, because God causes us to be born again um, spiritually with imperishable seed, uh, therefore, because all that's true, uh, Peter says we need to get rid of five things. There's five things that after you're born again just have to go. You have to get rid of these things uh, from your life. And Peter has, uh, tells us uh, these five things, what they are and so forth. And, uh, you know, when I think about this, oftentimes when we think about nurturing the spiritual side of our life, when we think about, okay, uh, if I have this physical side, I pay a lot of attention to it. I pamper it. I, you know, make sure it's comfortable. I keep it warm in the winter, cool in the summer. I spend a lot of energy, blah, 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 taking care. What about my spiritual side? What do I do to nurture my spiritual life? And uh, whenever I have a conversation about this with people or even with myself, I, I, I always find that people say, well, you know, I'm busy. I'm really busy. I mean, I've got all I can do to take care of the physical side of my life. And when I think about, you know, nurturing the spiritual side, this born-again side that starts out just like an infant and needs to be nurtured and needs to grow, and that's what Peter's concerned, that we grow up in our salvation in this text. And so when it comes to spending time in Scripture, when it comes to spending time developing a prayer life, when it comes to spending time with other Christians who are seasoned from whom we can learn, like in a small church, like we have several small churches, or when it comes to serving God or building friendships with unbelievers so that we can share the good news of the gospel, the number one issue that always comes back is, well, you know, I'm busy. I really just don't have time. Someday I'm going to nurture that spiritual side of my life. Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that if you eliminate these five things from your life, you'll have time. 
If you eliminate the wisdom of Scripture, right? If you get rid of these five things out of your life, uh, you will begin to find out that you have time. The truth is, we all have 168 hours in a week. Everybody has the same amount of time, right? You can't make time. It's, everybody has the same amount of time. And you want to maybe ask the question, how many hours a week do I think I need to, to develop my relationship with the Lord to have the kind of relationship that I want? Because we all have that control within ourselves. Uh, how many of those 168 hours do I think I need to invest in my relationship with the Lord in order to have the kind of relationship that I really desire? And uh, so on and so forth. Well, if we get rid of these five things, I'm sure that we'll have more room for the living word of God to flow into our souls. And so that we can grow up into salvation. I think a grown-up Christian is somebody who's motivated from the heart to love God. Somebody who's got integrity of character. And somebody who's engaged in holding hands with God and what he's doing in the world today. Um, And so... Here's the first thing Peter says. Look, first thing you get rid of malice. First thing, get rid of all, and notice the word all. Get rid of all malice. Just get rid of any idea of hurting another person. We all go through life and get hurt. Uh, We all go through life and there are people who offend us. There are things that happen to us. We all get hurt. And um, when the Bible says get rid of all malice, it's just saying, you know, forget about getting even with people. I met a woman one time who uh, was on the receiving end of a nasty divorce, and this was like, uh, I think it was like 12 years ago this happened, and every time I got together with this woman, she was filled with this how to get even with this guy who really did her wrong. And I thought her whole life is being consumed with malice, and she was going no place in life, and it was so sad. And so the first thing Peter says is, look, get rid of all malice. Get rid of um, getting even with the people who've wronged or hurt you. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, look, God says vengeance is mine. So you can leave it to God. You've got people who've offended you. Don't worry about it. Leave it to God. Vengeance is mine. God is aware of what's going on in his children's life. Get rid of prejudice or prejudging. Uh, That's malice. In the Greek language, this word malice is actually wider. It's the idea of any wickedness or any wrongdoing. Just decide that now as somebody who's born in the likeness of God, I'm in the world to love people with grace and mercy like we sang about this morning and not to get even or to settle scores. It's not why I'm here. And if you get rid of malice, think of how much room opens up in your life. The second thing uh, Peter says that we need to get rid of is all deceit. Deceit is lying. All right? It's just lying. Uh, Deceit is attempting to manipulate other people by being less than honest, less than straightforward. And, of course, one of the big problems with deceit is, you know, it takes a lot of brain power to remember who you lied to so you can keep the story straight. And then you don't have room in your life for better things. And you're using all this brain power to just kind of do this. This word is interesting, I found out. Uh, This word deceit uh, originally comes from fishing. Fishing. It originally referred to bait. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, When you go fishing, what are you doing? You put some bait on a hook and you're pretending to feed the fish when really you intend the fish to feed you. Isn't that right? You're, you're sort of setting the thing up to think that you're really caring about it, and the next thing you know, you're eating it, right? And, and deceit is like that. It's what can I say to manipulate you to do for me what I want you to do? 
And that's where the original word comes from. It's being uh, devious with our words or our actions to just get what we want. It's deception. And so Peter says, look, get rid of all deception. Just be straight up. Just be honest. Just live who you are. And that leads to the next one, hypocrisy. Uh, Get rid of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is about acting different than we really are. It means to wear a mask. Hypocrisy is trying to put on an impression and, and trying to be somebody other than who we really are. It's pretense or pretending. It's behavior that's not genuine or consistent with just who we are. And, you know, that takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. How do I, you know, come across just the way that I think the other person wants me to come across instead of just being real and being myself and so on? Peter says, look, get rid of hypocrisy. You get rid of these things. And think how much time opens up in your life to just be this born-again Christian person that's alive spiritually. Get rid of hypocrisy, he says. If you just, again, turn your uh, Bible back one page to um, James chapter 3, verse 17, uh, James says, look, wisdom that comes from God, okay, is sincere. Sincere. James 3.17, it says, wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then it's peace-loving, then it's considerate, it's submissive, it's full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. It's just real. Wisdom that comes from God. Wisdom is how to take the truth and apply it to life. And wisdom that comes from God is sincere. It doesn't need deception or hypocrisy. And then the fourth thing is envy, envy or jealousy. Uh, This is when we resent somebody else because of what they have. And uh, it can be anything, right? And it's something that we want and we don't have. It's just an expression of selfishness. It's just an inability to stop thinking about ourselves and care more about the next person. It's the inability to love our neighbor. You know how the Bible says, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And so um, sometimes I think we as Christians, we find it pretty easy to weep with those who weep. We have compassion and we reach out and we, we feel for other people. But when somebody comes into some good fortune or God chooses to bless somebody and give them a brand new Corvette or something, it's a little bit harder to rejoice with the people who rejoice, isn't it? But that's what this is about, not to envy, uh, to be content with what we have. This is the opposite of contentment. Um, And then last, slander, gossip, backbiting, any attempt to run somebody down, uh, conversations or actions that tear people apart and so forth. And I would suggest that when our lives are full of these five kinds of things, um, we lose our appetite for the Word of God. Because if you're filled with that kind of stuff, every time you turn to the Word of God, it's telling you to smarten up. And so you stay away from the word because you, you want to indulge in these five, uh, you know, negative kinds of habits. And I would say all five of these are relational. All five of these are about, you know, loving our neighbors and loving other people. And uh, when that's what's uh, going on inside, it's kind of like eating junk food, you know, to the point where um, after we eat so much junk food, we don't want, you know, the food that would actually nourish our lives and we end up getting sick. Uh, we, we live in a day of, uh, I think, being overwhelmed with information or words. Words constantly come at us, right, from every angle. But most of the words that come at us are junk food. And when we pay uh, over-attention to all these different things, most of it caters to our temporary life. It doesn't satisfy us, and that's why we keep needing more. I think the whole advertising industry is based on this. 
Uh, the physical side will never satisfy you, but everybody thinks if I just had a little bit more, it would. And so the whole advertising industry is always putting something, the next thing that you need to really find that satisfaction and contentment in your life. Uh, but so much of it is junk food. And so Peter says, look, get rid of all of this stuff. Get rid of envy, slander, malice, and those five ways of being. Not only does it open up time in your life, but it creates a void. And then God comes forward and says, instead of all of that, listen, crave the pure spiritual milk of the word of God. What am I going to do if I don't do hypocrisy and deceit and envy and all those? What am I going to do? I'm going to crave the pure spiritual milk that gives spiritual life to my being in its place, in place of those five things, in that void that is created. Develop a hunger, Peter says, to hear from God like a newborn baby. You ever hear a newborn baby that's hungry? Like on an airplane? You know, and you're like, please feed that kid. And Peter says, listen, crave the word of God, the imperishable word of God, like a newborn baby. In other words, you're not going to quit until you get what you need. You are not going to give up until you hear a word from God. Until you know the absolute truth of the word of God, you're not going to quit. You're going to go after it. And you've got to have it like a newborn baby. Uh, and you're not going to give up until you get it. And when you hear from God, you can't let it go until you're satisfied. But the good news is, God's word satisfies. God's word satisfies that spiritual longing inside. When the Lord's our shepherd and we listen to him, I want for nothing, the psalmist says. Right? I have everything that I need. And uh, spiritually alive people need God's word like a baby needs milk. It's our lifeline. I have to have it. It's an insatiable quest, and it's intense. And you might ask yourself, are you like that? Are you like that? Do you go through life and say, you know, I've got all these different answers to life's issues and worldviews coming at me all the time. I have to have God's worldview. I have to have God's word on this situation or that decision or how to think about this person and all of those kinds of things. As you go through life and navigate your way through life, uh, are you like that? Are you like a newborn baby saying, I got to know what God thinks about this? Because I have all my friends telling me one thing. I've had my family telling me one thing. I've had the world tell, you know, and so, but I need to know what does God think? And I have one place to go. It's to that imperishable living, as Peter calls it, word of God. And so we have to have it. No matter what else might be coming into our life, I have to have a word from God. It's how we live. You know, in the Old Testament, the psalmist in the 119th Psalm uh, talked about what the word of God had come to mean to him. Now, if you're familiar, the 119th Psalm, of course, is the longest psalm in the entire uh, book of Psalms. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. Relax. But um, it's really the uh, Hebrew alphabet, and then there's a whole section for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet goes all the way through it. But I did want to read a couple of things and just ask yourself, you know, is this the way I feel about the Word of God? Has the Word of God come to mean this to me? Is it my life? He says, he starts out, he says, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed means happy. The best way to, to, to translate the word blessed is happy. Happy are people who walk according to God's word. Are you a happy person? Would people around you call you a happy person? 
You might say, oh, yeah, I'm happy. Would your wife call you a happy person? Would your husband call you a happy person? Would your kids say you're a happy? Would your fellow workers say you're happy? Do you walk around? You know, he says, blessed, happy are those who walk according to the law of the Lord. Is that true? He says, blessed, happy are those who keep his statutes. Right? And seek him with all their heart. Uh, and you can just kind of walk your way through here. Uh, the second part, uh, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can a kid navigate through the world today? How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Right? And he says this, I seek you with all my heart. I don't let me, don't let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This, you know, has the word of God come to mean that to us? Uh, my soul is consumed with longing for your laws. My soul, my thoughts, feelings, and choices is consumed with longing for your words. I have to hear what you have to say about whatever. Uh, your statutes are my delight. They satisfy my delight. What do you delight in in life? When you get some spare time and you can do whatever you want, do you turn to the word of God? Because in here you find delight. You find soul satisfaction. That's what the psalmist says. He says, your words are my delight. He says, the law from your mouth. Listen to this. Ask yourself, is this true of me? The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver or gold. I would rather have your truth than money. When my house burns down, I'm grabbing the Bible, not my bank book. That's what this is saying. Has the word of God come to be that precious to you that it's worth more to you than more money? So have you ever, like, turned down the opportunity to make a buck in favor of spending time at the feet of the Bible and letting the word of God? Here's another one. To all perfection, I see a limit, the psalmist says. To all perfection in the world, you, you know how you want everything perfect, right? For, you have certain things in your life that are important to you. You want everything perfect. And people criticize other people because they have different things they want perfect. But some people want perfect kids. Some people want perfect cars. Some people want perfect jobs. Some people want the perfect wife, and they're on their third or fourth one trying to, you know. To all perfection, I see a limit, the psalmist says, okay? But your commands, your word is boundless. There's perfection. Want to have something be right in your life? Your soul can be right by the word of God. He says, uh, your commands make me wiser than my enemies. I used to love this when I was a kid. I, I remember this. They're ever with me. And, and then he says this, I have more insight than all my teachers. For I meditate on your word day and night. I meditate on your statutes. I have more insight than my teachers. Isn't that a great feeling? You go off to college, and you say, because the Word of God has been built into me over the years, I have more insight than my teachers. I mean, I take what I can get from him and so forth, but you know what? I have more. Because God's Word is able to do that. It creates a spiritual life. How about this one? How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey? Is the Word of God sweet to you? Is it like dessert? You know, I love desserts. Uh, because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold, and because I consider all your precepts right, I hate every wrong path. 
is there not only a love for what's right and for God's truth, but do you find in yourself when you watch the news an anger or a hatred over the way the world keeps going further and further away from God's truth? The psalmist says, this is what the word of God is doing to me. It's, 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 it's sharpening the right and the wrong of life. And I find that I can't just not care about what's wrong. I have to speak up. I have to, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling terrible about what's happening as people keep moving further and further away from God. He says, because I love your commands and because I consider your precepts right, I hate every wrong path. My zeal wears me out for my enemies ignore your word. How about that? I get so tired at the end of the day, the psalmist is saying, because out in the workplace or out in the marketplace, you know, I'm contending for your word and I'm finding I'm, I'm wearing out. My zeal for your word is hard to sustain because every place I go, nobody wants to hear it. Now, this was written a long time ago, right? Uh, long ago, I learned from your statutes that you established them to last forever. God's word is imperishable seed. Everything physical comes from perishable seed. And God's word will last forever. Seven times a day, the psalmist says, I praise you for your righteous word. I'm so thankful that God has written his word. Where would we be without the word of God? And then you notice in our text in 1 Peter that Peter says that we, um, instead of those five things, we're to crave the pure pure spiritual milk of the word of God. Um, The uncontaminated, undiluted, we would say probably today, the organic word of God. We want the pure organic word of God. We want God's word straight up. And I would tell you, I think sermons are good. I think books are good. I think videos are good. I think magazine articles about Christianity are good. But there is no substitute for hearing directly in your spirit from God through his word. There is no substitute for sitting before God prayerfully, humbly, and asking God to speak to you and reading his word and sensing the Lord's word in your life. There's no substitute for that. Uh, I always hope that my sermons create, you know, kind of an appetite for more of the word of God. I always think that, you know, gee, if a simple guy like Dave could get that out of those words, maybe I could get more. And uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living. The word of God is living. Don't think that the Bible's like any other book. Every other book is just dead. It's just black and white ink on pages. But the Bible's living. God breathes it, and he breathes into our spirit through it. The Word of God is living, and it's active. You can't read the Word of God passively, because the Word of God is active. It's not passive. You can't just kind of take that in and say, oh, ho-hum, now I know that. No, it gets inside, and it's alive, and it begins to change us. It's active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. It goes deep. That's what the Word of God, the living, imperishable seed of the Word of God, when it gets inside of us and the Spirit of God gives it life, it begins to change us. It transforms us. It makes us like Christ. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. 
And the Word of God tells us what God thinks. And it goes deep. It goes into the deepest part of our being. The Bible is the bottom line. And uh, I think when you crave this pure spiritual milk, you'll read the Bible, you'll study the Bible, you'll meditate on the Bible, you'll discuss the Bible, you'll debate the Bible, you'll memorize the Bible. And all this happens because, as Peter says, when we get rid of those five things out of our life, we begin to crave to hear a word from God. And God has provided a way to meet that need. And we never outgrow that kind of craving. The 119th Psalm says, listen, it becomes like honey to us. It gets sweeter as we get to know God more. And, and we yearn for his word. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus calls it the bread of life that's able to satisfy. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says that the Bible or God's word is solid food for the mature. It starts out as milk and then goes to bread and then goes to solid food. You never outgrow this craving to hear from God. Several times in the Bible, you know what the Bible says? Um, Several times. Man shall not live by what? Bread alone. Can I tell you, if if your life is satisfied by the physical side of life, you're being deceived. God says you're not living. Man cannot live by the physical side of life alone. You're existing, but you're not living in God's eyes. You cannot live by the physical side of life alone. If you're totally satisfied by the material world, you're being deceived. And the rest of that man shall not live by bread alone, but what? By every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's not until we're spiritually born again and spiritually alive that God considers us even living And God gives this spiritual life through his living word. He's our father. He's our parody. He brings us to life by this imperishable seed of his word. And then his goal is that we would grow up. Again, back here in uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Get rid of these things. Crave the pure spiritual milk. Why? So that by it, by the word of God, you may grow up into your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So that we can grow up into our salvation. It's one thing to be saved. It's one thing to you know, know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and washed us clean and promises us eternal life. It's another thing to grow up. It's one thing to be born, right? A baby. It's another thing to grow up. And what uh, God is telling us in his word here is that we need to um, continue to grow and we grow by the word of God. I think a grown-up Christian is, again, motivated from the heart to love God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. A grown-up Christian has integrity in their character. And a grown-up Christian is holding hands with God in what he's doing in the world. They have a a ministry, a mission that they're committed to. And uh, I wanted to uh, just leave you with this thought that um, you might say there are three uh, stages uh, to growing up spiritually. And uh, I would call the first stage um, experiencing the love of God. Experiencing the love of God. Um, This first stage, I don't know about you, but I cannot ever get enough of hearing God from his word tell me that he loves me. Tell me that he's forgiven me. Tell me that he accepts me with all my shortcomings and flaws and all the rest of it. I can never get enough of that. So I say the first stage, uh, the infant stage, the first uh, uh, words that we get from the word of God um, is about experiencing his love. It's the good news of the gospel. 
And uh, it's about encountering God's grace. And I think they're the first set of words in the Bible are about acceptance on the basis of Christ. The second uh, stage of growing up, I would say, is embracing the truth. And uh, these are words in the Bible of accountability. And again, I think uh, when you grow up, um, the embrace of God's truth, God speaks truth. And I have to know the truth. I have to know God's worldview. I have to know where I came from, where I'm going, what it's all about, and so forth. And I encounter truth by the word of God. And uh, I think this is what parenting is about, by the way, is words of, account, words of acceptance first, always first, like God does to us. I love you in spite of the, while you were yet sinners, I died for you. Words of acceptance first, and then words of accountability. And the parent lives in the tension when they try to raise children between the words of acceptance and the words of accountability, right? And then third is um, this whole idea of joining God in what he's got us in the world to do. And uh, you might say that this is enlisting and serving God's purpose. And it's here that we find meaning in life. It's here that we find purpose. Why are we here? This is about ministry and evangelism and servant leadership and, and so forth. And I say these are words of assignment. When you read the Bible, when I read the Bible, I, I'm always looking for those words of acceptance. And they're always there. Then there's always words of accountability. Hey, this is what I made you to be like. You know, get rid of these five things crave this pure spiritual milk and then there's always words of assignment hey this is what i'm doing in the world go into the world make disciples this is what i'm up to until jesus comes back so join me and so forth and then i want to suggest to you that when these three words from god come together where they meet is where we find contentment and satisfaction in our spiritual lives when you understand that god loves you and you experience that love and when you understand that God holds you accountable and when you reorient your life to be accountable to the word of God, and when you take seriously the fact that God has you in the world for a purpose and a reason to serve in his kingdom, when those three things are happening in your life, and I think you just keep circling around. Like I said, I've been a Christian for a long time, over 50 years, right? Since I was seven, almost 60 years. And um, I never tire of hearing the gospel. That God loves me based on Christ's blood. I can't get enough of that. I need it. I need it more now than I did when I was seven. Right? I've got a lot more garbage in my life than I did when I was seven. And I just keep circling around. And the more you crave the pure spiritual work of God, the more that contentment just gets larger and larger as those three things begin to take root in your life. And I would say to you moms, if you want to mimic God's parenting of us, Speak into your kid's life words of acceptance, words of accountability, and words of assignment or direction in order that they might conform to the wishes and the will of God. Well, we're going to ask John DeMassa to come up here. And uh, John uh, is one of these people who has craved the pure spiritual milk and uh, to such a degree that he's done something pretty, uh, I think, great about it. So, John, come on up here and share what the Lord's put on your mind. How's that? Well, thanks, Pastor Dave. You know, I got to thinking a little bit as he's preaching um, about sort of our motto this year, or our theme this year of soul satisfaction. And today I feel a little bit more uh, soul satisfaction, and maybe you do too. But the reason why I do is because he did a little bit of soul surgery on me. And uh, I have to admit, I need a lot more. 
Uh, but know this, uh, friends, you know, as we kind of go through this uh, stuff of our deceitfulness and hypocrisy that maybe all of us um, are at times uh, a little burdened with, uh, that surgery leaves you better. And so I really appreciated the sermon, and I thought it was uh, helpful to me. Well, again, happy Mother's Day. Um, and uh, I have a most unusual Mother's Day story for you. A number of uh, years ago, as I sat listening to a sermon, and a very good sermon at that, the question was asked, are you doing all you can do to serve God? And uh, the sermon was excellent, but what really kind of energized it, um, in fact, what made it powerful, if not life-transforming for me, was a certain illustration about a woman who was bed-bound. And as the story was uh, was sort of conveyed and I, I listened to it, uh, you could really kind of picture the struggle this woman had. Uh, she couldn't even feed herself as the story went. And uh, But with her, uh, when people came in the room, her face lit up. And she would say, well, God bless you and God love you. And then, as you'd spend time with her, she'd go ahead and uh, go ahead and say something about how the Lord was working in her bedbound life. And so she had a lot to say about the Lord. She was very encouraging about the Lord. And then, as you left, she'd say, "Well, God bless you, Jesus love you, and I can't wait to see you again." This woman was so filled uh, with the Lord, and yet she couldn't get out of her bed and do things for herself. Now, a few things more about this woman, then I'll tell you what my reaction was. She never made excellent dinners for her family. She couldn't do that. Uh, she couldn't attend to a home and make it beautiful and invite people in to uh, share a cup of tea and discuss things with um, girlfriends. She couldn't do that. She couldn't pick up the phone and talk about a daughter uh, who might be uh, preparing to get married, and she would never dance with a son at her marriage, uh, at his uh, marriage and uh, the wedding. She didn't have a gentleman friend to love her or a husband. She had no children. But her life was hardly barren. Her life was hardly barren. Nurses would say of her that she led them to the Lord. And why is that? Because of her her very few words, but her very kind spirit and the way she was very welcoming with them. You see, she did all that she could do to serve. Now, as I heard the story, I was, of course, struck to the heart because I knew that I wasn't doing all that I could do. My service to God was more preoccupied and uh, with perhaps self-service than God's service. Um, I could tell you all the good things that were happening in my life uh, and boast about them perhaps, but God couldn't tell you the things that I was doing and boast about them uh, to him. Well, I sat in the pews quietly and I wept. And... um, It was a very difficult moment for me. Uh, But I knew that I could do uh, so much more. And I turned to my then girlfriend, now wife, Grace, and I said, I think I could do a lot more. Uh, Something to think about. 
Did the childless bedridden woman from her bed have a spiritual uh, child on that day? Did she provide some kind of long overdue spiritual milk? I don't know. I could only say that my desire to serve swelled in my heart, and I knew that my call was certain, and I could do a lot more using the gifts that God gave me. For me, I wanted to teach, and for about the next eight years, I uh, began some formal studies in theology. Now, after all of that, I can't say that my ministry has been as effective as hers, as she went about her task of talking to different people and sharing her faith and bringing people to faith. But I suppose you could say that this most unusual mother uh, on Mother's Day could claim a most unusual uh, spiritual child who learned a little lesson that he could do more. And I still ask that question about myself. I still say, can I do more? What more uh, can I do wherever I'm at? whether it's at work or it's at home, wherever that may be. And maybe that's a good question for all of us to sort of consider, what more can you do? So God bless you on this Mother's Day. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, Pastor Dave, thank you for the opportunity. As we're thinking about what John shared, and can you 